Two things I wanted to bring up just in our intro. Last night, I had told you that I was listening to This American Life, which is a podcast that I listen yeah. to here and there. The way that This American Life does it, it's like really cool because they're telling story within like what they're trying, the information that they're trying to present you. And last night's episode, there was this really, before they got into their whole episode, they had, one of their editors was reading an essay that she had written for George Floyd, her feeling she is black, she's from England. So she immigrated to America from England, like in 2016. And I just highlighted like a few parts that I was just, I wanted to read. Hopefully you guys can go off and listen to it's episode like 614 of This American Life. But I think also, you know, I was educationally wise, I think I'm learning things through this. And I think if maybe you're not, maybe if this is the only thing you're doing to support the movement or to learn something within this, maybe also this essay will give you a, a enlightenment to something else. But so her name is Bim Adunmi, probably butchering that, but she's from England. She works for This American Life. And just a few parts, she said, one project that counted the dead found that black males aged 15 to 34 were nine times more likely than other Americans to be killed by law enforcement. Wow. She goes on to say, in case you've become fuzzy on timelines, Michael Brown was shot by police in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. Walter Scott was shot in the back by police in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. In 2016, Alton Sterling was killed by police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And a day later in Falcon Heights, Minnesota, police shot and killed Philando Castile while he was in the car with his partner and her four-year-old daughter. And she goes on to say, Black people have been dying in America and elsewhere for so long. What's so different about now? That first weekend, I kept asking myself this. What's making white people care now? I keep looking to see what I've missed. What was the thing that's making brands draw these lines now? What makes babynames.com dedicate its landing page to listing black victims of police violence alongside with the note, each one of these names was somebody's baby? Babynames.com stands in solidarity with the black community. What is compelling people, a lot of them white, to stand up for the first time and proclaim that it's time to do something? How is it that I have read more proposals for defunding and abolishing the police in the last two weeks than over the course of the last two years? What's making people in small towns across America, from Lewistown, Montana, to Bad Axe, Michigan, get up and protest now? If Sandra Bland didn't do it, if Eric Garner didn't do it, if Tatiana Jefferson didn't do it, if Ayanna Stanley Jones didn't do it, how is the death of George Floyd the thing that moves the needle? I can't think of an easy answer. It's not because he was seven years old like Ayanna Stanley Jones was. It's not because he was a 12-year-old boy like Tamir Rice was. It's not because he was an award-winning EMT who tweeted that 2020 would be her year like Breonna Taylor was. So the next likely answer is that it's as simple as the effect of accumulation. Finally, there are enough dirty clothes in the hamper to justify putting on a load of laundry. Why now? And I'm, we're grateful, right, that it's why now, but what's taken so long? And I think, although having enough dirty laundry in the hamper, I think it's also the fact that people were locked inside for months due to a pandemic, and it was the only thing that they could pay attention to. You know, True. like, Tiger King became this huge phenomenon, and I'm sure it would have, you know, if we were still going about our daily, regular, normal lives, but would it have become so big so fast because everyone had 
all of that time to sit and binge watch this man fight tigers or whatever that show was. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't really remember. It feels like it was decades ago. But, um, you know, in the same way, you had Breonna Taylor and then you have, you know, Ahmaud Arbery and then you have George Floyd. I feel like it was three deaths that were murders it was all people could watch or were watching because they couldn't go anywhere so they had to pay attention to the news cycle that was on because finally instead of talking about covid for four hours on good morning america they're talking about george floyd and it's in everyone's news cycle and it's on everyone's instagram so now no one has anything else to divert their attention from this so you have to sit and you have to watch everyone's Instagram story. But that had a big part to do with it because you could no longer post, you know, oh yeah, like George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, but look, here I am on vacation in Greece or wherever mm. I am because you couldn't go anywhere. So it's okay, I either pay attention right now because I have nothing else to pay attention to. So now if you turn your eye to it, like, you're probably something is wrong with you and you don't want to care about what's happening you don't want to pay attention and accept what's happening you're deciding to turn a blind eye to it while now you can finally look and say this is really happening this is mm -hmm. real and I cannot avoid it with my the rest of my life I can't bury myself in my job or whatever so much because you're working from home and now you are just looking at your phone and have the tv on in the background mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of different variables that play into now if we use her analogy wanting to clean the laundry there's just the second thing that i feel like has been weighing on my heart is like the whole elijah mclean story to be honest like i don't know i can't even really read this story because I just start crying. I think it's, I don't know. Now I feel like so many more of those instances and injustices are being brought to light. And you look at him and like you see these videos. I saw this video of him like doing this little wave dance thing. And like I, my heart just really breaks because he was, he says, I think in his final words, he's just different. And why so I'm sorry and he's apologizing for being different and I think you know I see all these things and just being someone who has to live this life and in the skin and it's exhausting to continue to see these things and these injustices and then you see such an innocent kid and he was different and he admitted he was different and now it's not just an injustice against a black man again it's also an injustice against people with disabilities or mental mm -hmm. health i think it just keeps hitting hard because you keep thinking like okay like maybe th this change is coming like here it is and then you just keep seeing oh it's still going on even though that was over six months ago like oh my gosh another one because you don't not everyone thing gets that media attention Mm -hmm. There's so many more like Elijah McLean, like Breonna Taylor, like George Floyd, who have not hit everybody's Instagram stories. Yeah, and I, 
I have to admit, and it's probably maybe not a great thing to admit, like, I can't. I, got, I really scroll past it. I do because I, I can't. I don't I know why this anymore. one. It's the I know. I don't. I do know why. I read the transcript. I couldn't even read the whole thing of what he was saying when Heck they no. were holding him down. And I just started hysterically crying. And the whole reason that he even got called, the police called, because he was wearing like um, a, a face oh, cover because yeah. he was anemic. Because it was and cold. And the neighbor that called said, I don't think anyone's in danger, but there's this guy walking Suspicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Called him suspicious, but also said she didn't believe that anybody was in danger. She just wasn't sure who it was. And then he, his life was over, I think. This has been my fight for my entire life. This will always be my fight. And I see these videos because I follow people and so although it might not be on your Instagram story it's always been on mine Mm. and so now seeing all of these people posting it it's the same thing why do you care now why haven't you cared before why you know and I get there's growth which we talk about with Frankie as well so people are growing which is phenomenal but you know I know I'm doing the work I'm reading, I'm educating others. I saw mm-hmm. a post and it said, if your feed is back to normal, then you're following the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that says a lot because if you're not sad and brought to tears every time you see that sweet video and picture of Elijah McLean, then you have some internal work to do that I cannot help you do. You know, this podcast can only point you to further resources. The Google sites I made can only put, you know, point you to further resources. But for there to be change, people really need to do internal work and be self-reflective. And I think that that's where you get those fights of all lives matter, those fights of not or those disagreements and the not understanding because people don't realize that they have they have to do some work and they don't want Mm -hmm. to do the work so today we had francesca greenwald on for this episode and it was by frankie so i think we say frankie a lot in the episode so we also work with frankie i although we worked with frankie this was just her first year that she finished at overbrook so you know being in the history department i don't really know frankie that well i've only had that but probably a handful of conversations with her um or students have said like oh you know like i was talking to mrs greenwald so i know her more from like my friendship with Melissa and Melissa talking about, oh yeah, I was talking to Frankie and all of that. So it, Frankie had reached out to Melissa that when we first came out with a podcast about potentially being a guest and that she had some topics she wanted to talk about. So the episode I think is definitely a little bit different because since I don't know Frankie super well personally, I didn't really know what questions I had for her because I didn't know her story. So then I think that's kind of why our episode today touches on so many different topics because we went from one thing to the next. It was just kind of more of a conversation Mm -hmm. of us trying to get to know each other better rather than speaking specifically on just certain topics.
Yeah. And I don't know if I'll keep it, but I think I, I start crying at the end there. So you do, and you better keep it. We laugh in this episode. We cry in this episode. And Miss Perez's tears are very real because it's a concern that you have, you know, that any caring teacher would have. Well, I think it's a beautiful episode because I think we talk about kids of all ages from Frankie's almost two-year-old to our graduating seniors to us as adults, how we learn and grow. So it's an episode for anybody. If you're a parent, a student, an educator, a human being, this is it. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe you've convinced me to keep it in there. Trying not um, to try again. Yeah. All right, guys. So we are here for episode six. If you want to just introduce yourself really quick with your background, where you went to school, what you teach, and then your race as well. Hi, everybody. I'm Frankie Greenwald. That's pretty much what everybody calls me. Um, I grew up in Cherry Hill. I'm white female. I went to Cherry Hill East, graduated there 2010, went to Rutgers Camden, where I studied English and education. I am certified to teach special ed and English K through 12, and I am the Title I English specialist at Overbrook with Melissa and Alexis. And I, I still live in Cherry Hill, and I have a daughter. She's 21 months old. Her name's Mickey. <laughs> I guess we'll just get started. You did just mention that you have a child. So her name is Mickey yeah. and you said she's 21 months old. So my first like kind of question that we're going to just get right into is, you know, raising a child in this climate. What are you doing or how are you raising Mickey in this climate? Like, being aware of what's going on. What I started looking through was first, cause she's so young, she doesn't know anything about the protesting and all that. And to try to show it to her, like we read books um, that are appropriate to her age, but that's really where I started. I looked at her toys and I looked at her books and I was like, there's not much diversity here. And it's, it was a little upsetting because I guess I just never realized a lot of her stuff's like animals, which is great. A lot of her books are animals and her toys. She loves animals. But I was like, like her dolls she does have are tend to be white dolls. And like we have, I bought her the Fisher Price princess set, but the princess set didn't come with Tiana. It just came with the most diverse one and there was Jasmine, who, I mean, is, I guess you could say controversially whitewashed. So mm -hmm. I, that's what I started looking at is I want to diverse, make her toys more diverse. I want to get her more people of color just to be representative, to show her like this is normal. Her books, I started ordering books online for her as well as myself, but so I could educate myself. But I also started ordering books for her that showed people from different backgrounds to show her like, Hey, this is okay. Like <laughs> these are people are normal they, and you're supposed to love them no matter what. And mm -hmm. that's what we're doing right now with her, just trying to get her to see everything. 
I think we hear a lot of, like a lot of what I'm hearing lately is some parents are saying, well, I'm not teaching my kids about color. And then they're going to be colorblind, right? And then on the other side, people are like, when I agree, well, no, like you have to teach them about color. You have to teach them about the different races. You have to teach them about the different cultures. You have to recognize that a black person is different than a white person. And by not teaching them that, you're kind of (laughs) really doing an injustice again to the next generation. There's beautiful things about different races. There's beautiful things about different cultures. There's struggles about different races. There's struggles that people have to go through with different cultures. So I think it's just so pressing to raise children in the way that we're going to want to see the future to look like. And that's one of the things I think with children, they want them to be this colorblind. You don't want to bring up race. You don't want to bring up color. And I think that's why a lot of these books and toys and TV shows turn to animals because Mm. you don't have to stereotype really an animal so that's that's something i read online they said try to think of tv shows you watch that have people of color especially black people as the lead and i was starting to think and i was like you know like for her there are a few she likes doc mcstuffins um so that's a good one for her because it portrays a black girl as a doctor so i like that Her mom's also in the show. Her mom's a doctor. Her dad is a stay-at-home dad. So, like, these are all different stereotypes that we don't, not stereotypes, these break the stereotype that Mm, is typically seen. So I like that one for her. They just put another one on Disney Junior called Mira, and it follows um, a girl from India. And it shows a lot about, they really do get into a lot of the Indian culture. So I do like to put that one on for her just to watch. But she, it's a little too old for her right now. But I would recommend that for other parents to look into because it's great. It it teaches them about Indian culture in subtle ways. Like even the commercials that come on before and after talk about different things in their culture that we don't know about. So that's where I've been trying to see like, what can I, what what other shows are out there that I can show her? What other books are out there? Movies, but. It's interesting, it's crazy to think like by replacing humans with animals, like people think that that's like, oh, we're just like avoiding any stereotypes, but you're just like avoiding any conversation regarding like anything in general. You're just pushing it under the rug once again. Right. Yeah. And even like to the base level of kids shows, like we don't even, I don't even think, I've never thought about before. That is totally probably why a lot of these kids shows are animals, Peppa Pig, things like that, instead of humans, that way we can totally avoid any, any conversation about controversy or any conversation about, well, you're not putting any representation. Well, no, they're animals. It's fine. And other anthropomorphic figures, inanimate objects, personified things like SpongeBob. Hmm. It's a sponge mm-hmm. so they can make him be anything he wants because he doesn't have a stereotype he's a sponge nobody can mm-hmm. say anything and right. a lot of these shows or they'll you'll notice like they'll create the characters and make them weird colors like purple or like green instead of actual skin colors so that way they're not technically representative of anyone do you guys, did you guys watch The Proud Family? 
Yeah, I watched it. I uh, loved The Proud Family. Uh-huh. I did too. But do you guys remember when the three, they were like the bad girls and they were gray? Yeah. Yeah, they were yeah. gray. Like the Proud Family was all black, but but why were the bad people gray? And I was like reading something. It's like, were they trying to say that they were ashy? Or, and I was like, oh my God, what? But like they were, why were they gray (laughs) i honestly forgot they were gray until right now like i just remember but yeah definitely yeah they're gray you're right they're the gross sisters (laughs) what about the way they dress too like yes the way they dressed to to the way that the main character and her friends the way they dressed completely different than those three girls and it and Mm -hmm. it was still showing like like, they had those the gross sisters, I'm currently Googling while we are having this discussion <laughs> to refresh my mind, and they're wearing, like, these grungy-looking overalls. Yes. While, like, the main family is, like, actually fully dressed, like, look nice. Yeah. And the overalls yeah. have always been a symbol of, like, lower class and working class. Yeah. Working class, yeah. I hadn't even thought about the gray people. And even it even goes for so they're gray, like they don't have much color to them, like they don't have much going on. They're in the overalls, like they're they're already sim- like showing that they're lower class. Then you got the yeah. way they act on top of it. I remember when I was little, I used to watch Gullah Gullah Island. I don't yeah. know about anyone, and I just remembered. I was like, I think I just loved that show. I loved the little creature, like the yellow. It was like my favorite show when I was little. That and Barney. But I never realized until right now, in my mind, I was like, I think one of the characters was black. And then I just Googled it and they all were. And I was like, I didn't even, like when you're a kid, none of that is mattering. I never thought to myself, wow, this is a show about black. There's all black people on the show. Like that never, I just liked the show. Yeah. Right. Reading Rainbow was awesome to watch. Oh my God, Rainbow. Yeah, it was breaking the mold of what you you would typically see out of the box yeah out of the box was a good one too mm-hmm. yeah sesame street sesame yeah. street always tried to be a little more diverse mm. and they've been i'm, I'm not sure because i know you guys don't have kids i'm not sure if you've seen they've really been trying to tackle the issues that have been coming on they've been doing like city halls they call them and they put them on CNN and the different channels, and they've been discussing what's going on. They discussed first COVID-19 to explain it to kids on their level, and then they did um, the Black Lives Matter. They, mm. they took on the protests, and they took on what happened to George Floyd and explained it to them. That was something we watched. Um, I'm really not sure how much she understood of it. Hey, we'll, we'll watch it. We'll put it on. And I know a lot of my friends with kids had it on for their children and and i mean i also know a lot of people that were like oh no i'm not gonna let them watch that they don't need to watch that alexis do you i was thinking about this last night and i was like this is like selfish of me to even be thinking because who knows who i could marry anyone right but but you will always have to think about this do you fear raising a child in this climate i don't know because i was being you know super single uh, I think my first thought is finding someone to have a child with, but I think that that's definitely been something that's like definitely played in the back of the, my mind, I guess. Like I always say I want to like stay here in 40s or like in this area. And I think like, well, 
why? Like I could move 15, 20 minutes down to like Williamstown or Sicklerville and put them in a more diverse school, giving them some opportunities and diversity that I didn't have. So I think it's like starting to think of some of those little things, like where would I potentially want to move to or how can I best like... What are things that I missed from my life or felt like I was missing in my childhood that I could make my kids life like easier maybe or recognize diversity ahead of time? But then that comes with a lot of other things. You know, I feel like sometimes you have to have some of those conversations either earlier or later, like a friend of mine, a neighbor, her son's almost nine and she is like, freaking out because as all these protests are going on she's like I think I'm gonna have to tell him I'm like he's nine why does why haven't you told him already but because we don't live in a diverse area he like it's weird because since he hasn't lived in a diverse area and kids are just kids and where we live is pretty accepting he's been in the same elementary school she's like well we haven't had to like nothing has come up and she said she didn't tell her older son until he started driving like Mm -hmm. well a little bit before he started driving but as he was like a preteen and he was mixed in with some more kids from other elementary schools so it's like crazy because I think more recently have I started thinking about having a kid and like what does that look like and I think it's hard to really think about because I don't fully understand that like love and needing to protect your kids so I can sit here and say like no I would totally like tell my kid before he was nine years old like that's crazy why wouldn't you but then who knows where I am and who knows what who I who am I married to you know and what other things are going on around us that lead to us having that conversation I'd probably watch Sesame Street and I think if they had questions I would be open talking to them about it but I feel like it's also hypothetical right now because who knows like when I have a kid and where we are as a society at that point yeah I was thinking as a parent I'm sure you worry about you worry about your kid either way right and especially as they get older and they start driving you're worrying about your kid or you're worrying about them coming home at night and things like that but it's got it's it's 10 times harder I think for black people right like I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine having a black child and they go off as a normal teenager driving like I wouldn't be able to sleep until they were home and that's all the time yeah well and then I think about it and like I always have to text my mom like when I arrived wherever I was going and people be like doesn't like why do you have to do that and at first I was like I don't know she's being annoying but now I think about it and I'm like I get it you know Mm -hmm. um even now like since I'm still living with my parents I'll like you know I'm texting them hey I'm running out to Target like I'll be right back like and I never really understood like why do you always need to know where I'm going or like what I'm doing like it just leaves me alone you know when you see these things you get reminded like okay that's why they wanted to know mm-hmm. um, yeah. so she can keep up on me if she hasn't heard. And it's always tell me when you get there, when you get there, not an hour later when you remember. Because <laughs> It's true. Melissa. Like when I, I always knew like my parents worried, but now that I have a daughter, especially when I'm away from her, you get like these random thoughts and like, I can't imagine just driving itself 
I'm going to be a nervous wreck when she starts driving because it's not only right. is she driving correctly, are the people around her driving correctly? Is she looking to make sure the people around her are driving it correctly? Did she check her tires? Did she check this? Because it's not stuff I do to be black on top of that. So then it's like, that's a whole nother thing, like a worry that I'm not going to have to worry about with my daughter, but someone who's black is going to have to think if they get stopped by a cop, like just for something. Right. Minor. And that's an example, right, of that white privilege. And that's not a bad term. That's just an example. Of you start off, you're starting off at different points. Frankie, you're going to start off with your daughter driving at the point of, I'm just worried that of her driving skills, right? I'm just worried of the people on the road. It's a big worry. But then as a black person is saying, yes, I'm worried about their driving skills, other people on the road. And I'm also worried because they're black and they may get pulled over by a cop. So now they're back here in the race, right? Whereas the white person starting ahead of them, again, it's just as simple as that. And that that is one example of white privilege that maybe listening to this people hadn't thought of before maybe now when they hear this they're like that yeah i had never thought about that i feel like that and that's right like it's in all of those little things i was reading this thing and it said white privilege doesn't mean that like you haven't lived a hard life and you haven't met obstacles it just means that you're not facing difficulties because of the color of your skin because yeah that's what you look like i and i haven't even thought about it in that way so I feel like the best thing, come another great thing that's coming out of all of this is that there's so many videos and explanations of things that seem like very complicated, complex ideas, and people are really taking the time to break them down and explain them. And I just, and using so many great metaphors, I was watching Trevor Noah had put that woman, the Monopoly metaphor. Kimberly Jones, yeah. To, to break that down, that complex idea of economics and of where African-Americans have started and how they haven't even gotten a foot yet in the race and to compare it to a Monopoly game was brilliant. And I just feel like that is what we need, right? We need these complex ideas in a way just to explain to us that makes sense for everybody. That's something yeah. I'm still living at home. Like, like Alexa said, I am as well. And my mom grew up in South Philly and she talks about how she had a very diverse upbringing but at the same time, she, she says a lot of things that are very racist. And when I, I'll try to educate her and point it out, and it's just like, well, you don't know. You're too young. You don't know. You believe everything you read on the internet. And I'm mm. like, well, no, I've educated myself. I've started reading things. I've started talking to people. I've, I've, I've empathized with people by listening to their stories. And... It's not just, oh, I've changed. I rely on the, I believe everything I read on the internet. It's like, well, no, the internet, yeah, puts out a lot of stuff and some of it's not true, but it also can bring people together. My dad and I have very similar views. So she'll say that to me, like, you're just young and naive. You don't know. And I'm like, well, I'm not young. I mean, I'm obviously younger than you, mom, but like, I'm, I'm not young to the point that I'm easily influenced. I know what I'm talking about. I mean, I've seen things. I watch everything you're watching, yet we just have different things. And that's how it is. Like, even with my sisters, they're twins. My one sister always will bring up like, you hate me because I lean to the right. And I'm like, no. First of all, I, I'm not very, I'm usually not a political person. Like, I don't, I don't get into it. I don't know much about it. So like, I don't, 
use terms like leftist, rightist, I lean this way, lean that way. Like, I just have views and everything has become political. Like trying to stay safe during COVID has become political. Believing on what is morally correct and that everyone should be equal has become political. And people That's are- the thing. I'm like, everyone said, like when people are like, oh, this movement is political. I'm like, this movement is humanitarian. Yeah. This movement isn't political. This movement is just basic morality. That's, to me, that's not political. To me, that's just being a human and just wanting equality. Why is it political? This is what I say at home. And like, that's, I know there must be students and people listening to this who have similar situations like you're either living with or in close or very close relationship with somebody who has a different view. And it's just, arguing with them is just pointless. Yeah, I think that that's actually one of my questions is do you have do you have dialogue with your family or is it arguments? I we try to have dialogue and I'll say, well, like she my, my mom's one of those ones like all lives matter. Everybody matters. And I say to her and I've used some of those like metaphors, like you've been saying like how people come up with these great metaphors. Like I was saying to her, like, Well mom, like if our house is on fire and the neighbors across the street came out and was like, all of our houses matter. Like that wouldn't make sense. Right. And, and she was like, well, we're not talking about houses. And then I was like, well, it's the same thing, like going to the doctor and being like, I think I broke my arm. And they're like, well, we're going to check your bones because every bone mattered. She's it's, it's like, she feels threatened some way. Like she's very in like very upset about the Columbus statue in Philly because South Philly is where she grew up and she's Italian. So like they feel so connected. And I, I, she was like, well, he didn't do anything wrong. And I was like, well, actually he did. And I, and I was talking to her about it and she was like, well, if a statue makes you feel badly now, like if you look at that statue and it's ruining your day now, then there's something wrong because I look at it and it's just a statue. And I was like, okay, well, if it's just a statue, why does it matter if it's there or not? Mm. And usually they do turn into arguments because she doesn't know what else to say. Mm. Same thing with with my sister and when I try to talk to her. And she's like, well, everybody does matter. And I'm like, yes, everyone matters. We are all aware that everybody matters. And that's why we're trying to fight so that everybody matters. Other minorities or what happened in the past. Irish were slaves and Italians were slaves. And, and I'm like, yeah, but they're not seen as different now. Like you mm-hmm. look at me. Like, no one's going to be like, oh, well, she's Italian and German. No, I, I'm white. Like, I don't fill out a, I don't fill out the paperwork when I'm, they, when they ask me, I don't have to say I'm Italian, German, blah, 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 blah. I put that I'm white Caucasian because that's how I'm viewed. My neighbor's very politically involved and she's Jewish. And she, she was saying to me how she has trouble even in her own community of people saying, well, like, well, we were mistreat it we were this and she says well that's why you should understand more Mm. and that's pretty much it's important to have the dialogue and it's important to stick to your views and not change them but the arguments are not worth it's not worth it to destroy your relationship with your mother or your aunt or your uncle or your brother or sister so let them be heard and then explain after so that's i've tried but it's definitely a work in progress. My dad's tried. <laughs> My other sister's kind of just, she, she, she believes the same things as my dad and I, but she just, 
doesn't want to get involved, so she doesn't say anything. And mm. I personally don't think that's right because I think that's being complacent. You're just mm-hmm. allowing it to happen because it's uncomfortable for you. It's going to make an uncomfortable situation for you, so you don't do it. If you believe strongly enough about it that it should be changed, you have to get involved because staying out of it is just allowing it to happen. It's interesting because you grew up in a household that's divided, right? But why do you think you chose to be on the side you're on versus like the side her mom is on? Like, I, I actually had to do a lot of research because I used to listen to a lot of what my mom said. And I, I remember, I still think of this. It was in my 10th grade English class that we were talking about soldiers and I made probably the rudest comment. I was like, people who become soldiers don't want to be soldiers to fight for the country. They just want to get the free education. And like I think of that now and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that. And like some girl in the class was like crying because her brother was a soldier. And like, and like, I just remember being like, well, it's true. And I was like, I, I still think of that and think of how ignorant that was to say. But like, that's what I was being told at home. My mom knew someone who went to Rutgers, who lived in Camden and got to go for basically free. And and because she lived in Camden and opted out of housing, she would get a check monthly for what the room and board would be. I have no idea what this girl did, if she worked hard, if this was a scholarship, but this is what I was told that minorities had more advantages because they had more money available for them for colleges. And because they had to fill quotas, they would be picked for jobs over me. And like, this was the stuff that I was being told. And I started researching and I was like, this is not right. Like I actually needed to educate myself because I was listening to these things and like believing it. There's probably students at our school who may be hearing the same thing. You hold these this hate for no reason. Mm. It's uninformed. They're not factual. It's just opinion. But it's what you've been told as fact. And if you don't look it up, you're going to believe what your parents tell you. And like, again, my dad was always the type like non-confrontational. So like, he really never stepped in and said, that's not how it is. That's not right. He just let my mom go. And I just believed it. And I've probably said a lot of things in my past that if I, if they were written down and I could read them again, I would probably be so embarrassed and ashamed. And But I think that's growth, right? Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. you recognizing and that's doing what a lot of people aren't doing. And I think that's, I keep seeing this meme. I forget exactly how it's worded, but it's saying something like we need to normalize educating ourselves and changing our opinions as growth and not hypocrisy. Because that's the other thing that gets thrown in my face too from my mom. Like you're such a hypocrite. You used to think this and you used to be this way and now you're not. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes, this is something I teach to my 11th graders. We do a whole unit on like, we read a bunch of transcendental essays. And this is like a theme. I, we talk about how you can think one thing today and tomorrow your opinion can change. And that is okay. That there's nothing that is called growth. Think about it from a high school perspective. When you're in 10th grade, maybe you hate 
this girl, she's the worst person ever, right? You hate her. You're talking all this stuff about her. And then you, over the summer, learn something about her. And you actually learn she's not that bad. And maybe you guys become friends. And the next year, you're friends. And everyone's like, oh, you're such a hypocrite. You hated her so much last year. And it's like, no, I just learned something new. And I actually like her now. And I've changed my mind. And that's okay. But as a society, we're like calling that a hypocrite and saying mm -hmm. it's wrong to grow and change your mind yeah. and learn something. Oh, the biggest you've changed. You've changed. It's perfectly okay to think one thing and then decide, no, I don't, I don't think that anymore. Or how do you as a white woman change people? Can you change people's opinions? How do you go about doing that? And I think yeah. it is having those uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. I think it can be done because, I mean, I think I'm an example of that. It can be done, but... I think it has to be an internal thing. Yeah, that's what I was like going to say. You were saying to your own terms. Yeah, because you, were, because you were saying, you know, your mom was saying all these things and it felt wrong to you and, you know, maybe you were having conversations with other people and then you went and continued to educate yourself so you could change your opinions. And it was interesting, I had... There were three girls that I graduated high school with. I was, like, friendly with them, but we never really, like, hung out. And they're trying to start some changes and discussions in our old school district. They reached out to me because some of them are teachers. So they were like, hey, we just, you know, being a black educator, they were like, we just want to, like, pick your brain and see, like, what would be possible. And I haven't talked to these girls in nine years. And so I went on a Google Meet with them on Saturday morning and I was stressing this idea of like people need to educate themselves just going to a protest is not going to change your opinion because how do you really know what you're protesting for if you haven't educated yourself and mm -hmm. this one of the girls was like well at some of those protests you know they have like places to vote uh, register to vote and do all these things and I was like Okay, but when you have a protest of thousands of people, not everyone gets that opportunity to go to register to vote at the protest. And right off the bat, a lot of these protests don't offer those things. And so I had to like, I literally pretty much just kind of stopped her and was like, hold on a second. Like from someone who is living in this black skin from day zero until literally the end of my life. I am sitting here telling you the protest will not be enough to change and make my life better or my kids' lives or my father, my parents' lives any better. And you're, you're like disagreeing with me. And she like, was kind of taken aback and I said no I'm telling you for people's opinions to change and for real change to be made people need to educate themselves and she was quiet for like pretty much the rest of the time and, I, and then this is where I have to also stop because I felt guilty for standing up for myself because she got uncomfortable but then mm -hmm. as I thought about it throughout the rest of the day I was like no I'm glad that I stood up for myself yeah. and I made her uncomfortable because she needs to realize like you can go to a protest every single weekend for the rest of your life and still not have a changed opinion because you're probably going to that protest with your friends 
You're not going and hanging out with all these new people where you're having these in-depth conversations. You're all there rah-rahing around whatever the protest is for. But you have to, and I think, you know, in talking with a lot of people, it's been a lot of educating yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to order 500 books like I did. It just means watch something. <laughs> like, start by watching 13th on Netflix. And then that might show you one area of, you know, mass incarceration that you are interested in. And then you can educate yourself on that piece because, sure, this is a very overwhelming topic because it's not just police brutality. It falls into education. It falls into so many different American systems that are failing black people, but there's a history of why they're failing and the protest doesn't give you that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why, you know, Frankie, us having those conversations um, and everybody, it's hopefully, you know, someone realizes something and after having a couple of those conversations hopefully like okay you know maybe I'll watch that video that Frankie posted on her Instagram story or I keep seeing all these people posting about 13th it's on Netflix maybe I'll just throw it on and it's those little things that turn into the big change we're hoping to see I think yeah Um, I was at a shopping center and there was a protest it was Juneteenth and there was a protest and it had ended at that shopping center and there was a Rita's. So like a lot of people that were in the protest went to Rita's afterwards. And it was just kind of funny to watch. They would get their Rita's and they would go off to the side. And there was these two groups of teenagers, maybe like 15, 16 year old girls. All Everybody's in black from the protest. The white girls are sitting together on one bench and the black girls are sitting together on another bench and nobody's talking to each other. No one's even looking at each other. They're just staying to themselves. And it's like, you just marched in a protest. For the same thing, right. Before Black Lives Matter, you think you would want to socialize. You think you would want to say, like, I know we're also in very weird times right now where you don't want to mingle too much with people you don't know. But, like, they were sitting close enough on benches that were next to each other to be able to just sit separately and talk. But you could tell both were backs towards each other, opposite. And I was just like, like, see, is it because you will, is it because you really want change or does it look cool to post pictures from protest? Right. Does it, is it the socially acceptable thing right now to fight for Black Lives Matter? And I noticed that a lot with the Blackout Tuesday, like a lot of people that I know that don't support Black Lives Matter, we're posting the black pictures on Instagram Mm. and Facebook. And I was just like, okay, but tomorrow you're going to tell me otherwise that the protesting is horrible and that, that rioters are animals. And, but you're posting this today saying that you're here to listen. Are you? I agree. It's definitely like this weird period of tension, like living in a predominantly white neighborhood. And when I walk my dog, I feel like this overwhelming need to say hello to like every white person that I pass. So they like think that I'm friendly, even though I've lived in this house my entire life. Or like you go out and now you have the mask on. So I'm like trying to make it extra obvious that I'm smiling. Like it's just this awkward kind of like 
attention time and I'm not trying to like get in an argument in the middle of Target. I'm just going to pick up some file folders or whatever I'm getting that day. But it's, you know, also important. Like I think if you're coming off of a protest and you're all sitting and eating water, I those barriers and have those conversations and teaching kids how to do that and break out of their comfort zone because how do they're the next generation that's, you know, coming up that has to have a different opinion than our parents who say, oh, well, as you get older, you understand. It's no, these teenagers understand right now they're living it and a lot of the police brutality is happening to kids their age or younger. I think like, I feel like this week has just been so weird with when you mentioned like the kids it happening now, seeing like graduation happening and then like watching like them go off to the world right and it's like god I hope they're gonna be okay yeah right yeah I think I've just been like processing that like this week mm-hmm. and just being like I am sad because they won't be able to like come check in in September and be like I'm here I'm okay so it's been like such a weird week yeah and you yeah. don't know and I think it's Go ahead, Frankie. Sorry. I was just going to say, you don't know who they have to talk to. Who? Yeah, I've that, and I think that's a scary part, like, too, right? Like, I was always saying, don't don't give in, like, to their stereotypes. Don't become that person. And, yeah. and, and they would always listen, and I think I'm scared that, like, I just can if pray, they, right, that yeah. they'll be okay, but I don't have that, like, reassurance. Yeah, and like and I think seeing them graduate, I was so happy, but that was like, oh, now yeah. they're like. But I think not having the closure of the end of the year is also what makes yeah. it difficult because you missed, you know, March, April, May, June, where having those conversations for the last couple of times and like being able to really talk all of this through with them as it's in the forefront of all of our lives, you know, as educators and. I know, Melissa, you and I especially, like, we pride ourselves on being able to have these conversations with our students, and, um, and I know, Frankie, we've talked a couple of times, and, you, you know, students go to you as well, and um, by not doing that, I think that, and having graduation be so different this year, and not being able to say bye to all of them in one yeah. big celebratory way it was weird like you literally just watch each one walk off the field and it just Mm. felt so different and felt so weird because it was like wow like I'm so used to seeing them all together in a traditional graduation ceremony and then all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh like that kid's really walking off to the rest of their life like they're yes they're done and that was weird yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I've really like processed it until like now. Yeah. Because like you were saying, you don't know the where the world that they're living in. You don't know the house that they're living in. So they could be living in a house that's divided on Black Lives Matter and they could be or you know, not be living in a house with anyone supportive or who knows their situation. So for so many of those so many students, no matter where you are, I think school is a safe space for them. 
and they can have these conversations because it's adults and teachers that are have a differing opinion and allow them to have inform their own opinion and sometimes at home your opinion isn't allowed to be formed if it's different than your parents and it's well it's my house so here we go mm -hmm. and so I think the kids respect when they have a teacher who allows them to form an opinion and helps them create one and be educate them and kind of also challenges them um so I think that's really definitely for me as well been a difficulty for this year uh, since March is just that's the part of my job that I love so much is being able to talk to the kids as as people. Not, yes. They're not even kids anymore. They're high schoolers. They're they're students. They're mini adults ready to go out. And we're preparing them from ninth through 12th grade to go out into the rest of the world and get out of this K through 12 bubble that they've been in. So, yeah, graduation was definitely very weird because you know, usually you would have had pictures or hugs and all those congratulations and you weren't able to do that because it was just like a wave, like, okay, bye, like, mm -hmm. congratulations. And it will be so weird come September when those kids really aren't in the building anymore. Yeah, I think it's going to be like a hole, <laughs> like, um, like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and it really was, there was no closure. It was just, even, it just, all of it, there was no ending. It was just kind of like we did everything until the last day, and then, like, like no difference. Like, it just cut right. off. It was like, all of a sudden, you're done. You don't have to sign in on Mr. Lee's Google form anymore. <laughs> you can actually turn off your alarm and roll back over. Um, but especially with the Black Lives Matter time and movement, I just wish I could like have been able to have them in my classroom to help them be guided through this. Not that I have all of the answers, but just for sp safe space to go and have difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give them one last stern talking to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know you all know who you are if you're listening <laughs> yeah <laughs> all of us you better be yeah you better be listening <laughs> yes seriously i did see something someone put out i saw a document last night it was a, a google doc 238 questions that teachers have and what the one that really stuck out to me pointed out discipline of african-american students and it was along the guidelines of we already know that african-american students are disciplined at a higher rate than any other race how is this going to be handled now with the mask and everything with wearing the mask and the social distancing is it are we just going to like i guess it was along the lines of like are certain teachers going to be like, you're not wearing your mask at the office? Where, like, another kid, they may be like, oh, Johnny, put your mask on. Where they might be like, Davon, get out the room. Go, go to the class. Go to the office. You don't have a mask. If you can't follow the rules, you can't stay here. I think that that's also an issue whether we have the masks or not. Yeah. I think that that's just implicit bias trainings that 
have to be had and have to be discussed. But it's also hard, I think, for a district to discuss that without every or a majority of teachers feeling like, oh, our district's just calling us all racist. It's no, we're not. But why is it that you send more black students out of your room than white students? And that's at any any school school or any level i think just as teachers whoever you are whatever district you're in you just need to look in yourself and honestly ask yourself do i have that implicit bias do is there something within me that at some point in my life i learned this bias and I have somehow transferred it over into my teaching career, and I do discipline maybe the black student more so than the white student. And if you recognize that and you're willing to fix it, I think recognizing it is the first thing. And I think a lot of educators are scared to even look at that within themselves and say, yeah, I do have that bias. And if, but if you say it out loud or if you say it in your mind, then you're accepting that you're willing to change it at least. I think most of the time the answer is yes, I do have it. Because like we said, it's implicit and unconscious. Like mm-hmm. it's right. in us. Like if you've ever looked at a blonde, like, oh, that's a dumb blonde. That That's an unconscious bias. Like yeah. you've been taught that. Like, oh, like. That's the thing. Everyone has it, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have an implicit bias only against your black students. Like maybe a Asian student walks in, and you're like, "Oh, they're probably super smart," but they yeah. I don't need to really teach too much to them. I can put them in the back right away because you're assuming they're smart. Right, Indian, whatever. So you know, those are all implicit biases that everyone literally everyone has them because it's what you grow up being taught or watching or reading and as educators especially when we're every student goes to school and they come in contact with the teacher or teachers every year so if as teachers we can identify our implicit biases and work to fix them then you're every single person in the world is also learning how to recognize their implicit biases and how to fix them because everyone has to go to school so it starts with us i really believe that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know continues and ripples further out all right awesome so frankie thanks for coming on the show thank you for having me yeah, thanks for being awesome. so open yeah. yeah i'm an open book my yeah. students know this